let's start this um, morning uh, with prayer. Uh, so will you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? I, I encourage you uh, now just uh, to pray for yourself. Ask God, God, will you reveal something through your word this morning that shapes me, that molds me, that equips me to live for you and you alone? Will you spend some time doing that? Pray for yourself. Now, I encourage you to pray for your neighbor who's sitting next to you right now um, in this gathering. Pray that uh, God uses this time to where we make much of Jesus through the word, that it penetrates their hearts, that it transforms them, and it changes them. So get outside of yourself and, and move towards those around you in prayer. Now, will you pray for me as I open up God's word, as I explain it, pray that it makes sense and that it's edifying to this gathering this morning. Pray for me. Father, we love you. We trust you. We know that uh, your Holy Spirit is going to speak through your through your word, I pray that you give us hearts that are attentive to you and you alone, that you help us understand what it means to listen with our hearts, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, to where it gets all the way down to the roots of the motivations of who we are, that your gospel is center, that it's at the centerpiece of who we are as citizens of heaven, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as, as those that belong to your bride. Transform us, change us with your word. Make us, make us a people that will lay down our lives for one another and for the truth of the gospel. Do all that now, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, so thrilled that you are here. Uh, if you are new here, my name is Cody McMurray. I am a lead pastor here at Redeemer Church. And uh, we're actually going through a series uh, that is... Uh, been shaping who we are, trying to set a framework for who we are as a church. And so we, you say, you will see this everywhere, either in the bulletin or on our website, that we aspire to be, by God's providential grace, a gospel-centered, disciple-making family. So we've been going piece by piece through what it means to uh, live out these values. And today we're, we're talking about a new value, uh, which is family. There's not a single better word to describe uh, the church of the Lord Jesus than family. And yet it's the, the number one thing that whenever we hear that, we get all, all these ideas of baggage going on in our mind to where, oh, it's never felt like family before, either in my former church experience, or whenever you say the word family, I have all these negative emotions from my, my upbringing, from my child rearing, from the way that I think about what my, uh, my interactions with my mom or what I think about with my interactions with my dad or my grandparents or anything like that. Uh, this idea of being, belonging to a family 
family in, with a group of strangers is not comforting to me, you might be thinking. Um, and my hope today is that you're able to see through God's word that uh, all those negative things that you're feeling, that's part of the brokenness of the world and has nothing to do, nothing to do with what God is forming and creating through his church. And so we, we have to desire and pursue this value with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And guess what? It's going, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard, but it's something that is worth pursuing because Jesus is worth it and Jesus is committed to our unity here. He's committed, committed to the unity of every single body of believers, local uh, body of believers that is spread all throughout this town right now and all throughout the world right now. And so we, uh, we need to focus in on what does it mean for us to be a united family. And so I have two points today. Uh, number one, God wants us to be united in the faith, and he wants us to be united to each other's maturity and growth in the family of God. So he wants us to be united in the faith, which we'll talk about more here in just a little bit, and he also wants us to be united in our commitment to growing in maturity together. Let me say this, uh, though, right from the beginning. Uh, the climax of this, uh, this whole section and uh, I, I really struggled with, where do I hone in right here on this, on this passage? I looked up how a couple of other pastors that I, I really admire, how did they tackle this text? And uh, one of them, uh, Timothy Keller, tackled it by preaching six sermons over this section. So I was like, okay, uh, six sermons, I got one. So here's, here's my shot. And this is the, the, really the climax of the whole passage, verse 13. Until we all, talking about the church or talking about the body, attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. What's amazing about Christianity that we all need to understand is that there is unity in our diversity in what God has done throughout all the world through the proclamation of the gospel. If you're here today and you're really trying to discover what it means to, to follow, follow Jesus or really thinking through what it means for me to, to be an all-in disciple or follower or learner or apprentice of Jesus. One, thanks for being here. I'm so honored that you would come and listen to kind of uh, how we as Christians would talk to one another. But I want you to really consider something this morning just on the onset. You're just like, well, you're talking about the family of God. I don't even know if I believe in Jesus. And so how is this going to be helpful to me? Listen to this. The unity of the faith is seen all throughout the world. It's seen all throughout the world. Whenever you think of other major religions, where is Buddhism, uh, Buddhism primarily still located? The same place that it originated in Tibet. Where is Hinduism still primarily located? The same place that it originated uh, in India. What about Islam? The same place that it conquered from 70 AD to 1000 AD, all across the, the front of Africa and all throughout the Middle East. And they really haven't grown beyond that. Christianity started where? In Jerusalem. You say, well, why did it start there? Because God, whenever Paul was preaching uh, to some of the Roman leaders, he said, this thing did not happen in a corner. God decided through his providential plan to start Christianity, his message for the world, at the center of the world. You know, how do I know that? Jerusalem is the center of the world. It's the only place, it's the only place on earth that connects three different continents together, Africa, Asia, and Europe. 
So if you had to, if you were going to go to Europe or you're going to go to Africa, if you're going to travel at all, you're going to go through this, this uh, little strip of land called Israel. And this is where God decided to start the whole thing. But guess what? It didn't stay there. That's my point. It didn't stay there. It quickly spread up into Europe and across, across Africa. Uh, right now, as, we, as we're sitting here today, there are more gatherers of Jesus gathering under his name in the southern hemisphere than in the northern hemisphere. That changed in 2013 for the first time in the history of the world. Everywhere that this gospel goes, it spreads. Every other world religion, wherever it originated, it's mostly still concentrated right there. So you have to come to some type of historical uh, reasoning for why. Why is this, this idea of uh, good news through King Jesus spreading so contagiously throughout the world? You have to come up with an answer. No matter what you say about Jesus, you have to come up with an answer um, and, um, through your anthropology and through your history of why did that happen? Because they, it often happened through martyrdom and death and claiming that Jesus really did raise from the dead. Have you considered that? I encourage you to consider it because this is what's interesting, is the family of God throughout the entire known world is unified in their radical diversity. And here in this local, in this local church, one of the values that we have to espouse is we have to say, What's going on out in the world we want to celebrate because our brothers and sisters belong to every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. We have a really unique opportunity here, here in Wichita Falls, primarily through the base, to have a radically diverse congregation. And we should celebrate this. We should celebrate this because it is a reflection of how God is taking the, the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And so what we see in Christianity is we see radical unity in our diversity and diversity in our unity. We are not like the cults. We are not like the other cults that are really just trying to put, make every single human being, man, woman, and child, into a perfect cookie, cookie cutter. They're trying to uh, create a monoculture of everyone that belongs to a certain cult. Christianity turns that completely on its head and it says, we want to celebrate your beauty and your diversity and your individual expression of worship through your culture that God has created within you while being united under the same doctrine of Jesus being prophet, priest, and king of the world. This is really, really good news. This is really good news that we all need to see and share and celebrate because if, we're, if, if we are not careful as the family of God, the prejudice of the world will very quickly come into this congregation. The prejudice of the world will quickly come into this congregation. Let me give you an example. Who's, who's our primary, like from a nation standpoint, adversary right now? Let's just look at the Olympics, all right? Who's, who's winning the medal count? USA by one gold medal over... Number two, China, all right? 39, as of this morning, uh, China was winning the entire thing. <coughs> Excuse me. China was winning the entire time until, uh, <coughs> I'm not crying. <sighs> all right, Lord, help me. <sighs> all right, I think that, might be okay. I'm not getting choked up about the Olympics, I promise. All right. I think we won two gold medals yesterday. 
and that kind of edged us out over, over China and the gold medal count. The overall medal count, USA is way above everyone else. But uh, the Olympics is actually a good time to kind of, there's this interesting study that I, that I recently read that talked about the difference between uh, the global superpowers and how they uh, really go after one another as, as rivals within the Olympics. And uh, there's always some other uh, geopolitical tension between those two, uh, the two top, two top leaders. But this is what's interesting. If we look at China and we say, oh, you know, they're, they're our adversary, they're, our, uh, they're, they're someone that we are against in, every, in everything that we do, we forget the idea that we are a unified, diverse family of God. And I was listening to uh, Joe Rogan, uh, not preach, but uh, do, a, uh, do a podcast. You know, uh, pastors used to get up and read the newspaper, and now we just listen to podcasts. Um, it's quicker that way. But he, he was talking to one of the, the leading China experts, and he was talking about some of the geopolitical threats of what was going on in our, our day and age. And uh, he said, What's, what scares you? And he talked about the thing that scare, scares um, her more than anything. And he says, what actually encourages you? And he says, probably the number one thing, and this is completely secular, has nothing to do, wasn't trying to be Christian whatsoever. Then probably the number one thing that's encouraging is there's some like Christian revival going on in China. Just said it like real plain. 400 million Christians in an underground church in China. That's more than, than the entire population of the United States of America. What does your heart do whenever you hear that? Do you rejoice? Because this is the posture of what it means to be a part of the unified, diverse family of God that we celebrate. God, will you please protect those brothers and sisters over there? Will you please put them into a position to where they can experience liberty and freedom and peace in their worship the same way that First Timothy 2 calls us to pray? Pray for our brothers and sisters in the face so that they can live quiet and peaceful lives. Is that, is that something that, that stirs up your hearts and your affections? Are you saying, oh, we got we to gotta watch out for that, you know, that, that, uh, the South China Seas over here? That's just political talk. Every, listen, as a family of God, for every one look at politics, we need to be looking a hundred times to Christ and have that and shape us, shape us and mold us and form us into who we are, the family of God, from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. So I'm, I'm going to get off this, uh, uh, this horse right now and jump into the text. But I want us to see this beauty, this beauty in diversity. By the way, this is why we go. This is why we go to every tongue, tribe, and nation. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And some of our brothers and sisters in Christ don't yet know the king. And so what do you do whenever the one sheep is lost? You leave the 99 and you go. And my prayer my prayer for this congregation is that he raises us up and we see, hey, our family is out there. Our family is out there. Yeah, they might be in the 1040 window. Yeah, they might be in the Middle East, but we have to go. We're compelled by our king to go get our brothers and sisters. That is my prayer for this church. That is my prayer for this church. So let's dive in uh, to really the, the two things that I said were the climax of this. Let's, let's just read kind of all the way through. It says this. It talks, verse 10 talks all about this being Jesus. And it says, he being Jesus gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherd teachers 
that's, uh, that's kind of uh, a singular position in, in the Greek, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. And so there's certain offices that God has given through gifts of the Holy Spirit to equip the church for the work of ministry. Now, this is contrary to the idea that's in the Bible Belt primarily that says, well, what your job out here in the congregation is to support the professional minister so that they can do ministry. And that's not found anywhere in the Bible. Right here, what we see is that primarily uh, God has given certain people gifts that he's going to raise up within the body there's pastors in the body that he is going to raise up, whether they are primary teaching and preaching pastors or just lay uh, pastors that are shepherding the flock um, here in this body. So he's going to raise up people within our congregation to do what? To equip, to be primary equippers of what? The work of ministry. Getting us to be gospel-centered disciple-makers. We're going to be equippers to send us out, but we talked about that. We talked talked about that last week. And let's see, uh, let's go, let's move on. Verse 13, here's the climax, until we attain, so we're being equipped until we're, we reach a certain goal to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. That just means growing up into maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so what literally it's saying right here is that the purpose of the equippers is to equip the family of God to do the work of ministry so that real heart transformation can happen within the body. Real heart transformation. So uh, it, it's not good enough for us just to have good worship music. It's not good enough for just to have okay preaching. It's not good enough for us to just have, you know, next step cards out here and a well-organized offering and, uh, uh, you know, nice greeters at the front. It's not good enough for that. What God is calling us to is maturity in the faith. He's calling this body to maturity, which means all of you, all of us. He's calling us to grow up. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we changing? Not are we getting more Bible knowledge. Are we appropriating the Bible knowledge that we have in our head? Is it affecting our heart? Is it transforming our heart altogether? We'll talk about that in just a second. Because the fear is this. Remember the, the letter that Jesus wrote to the church in Sardis? Like, how do you know? Um, it's in Revelation, and he says this. Can you imagine how scary it would be if one day in the mail I got a letter from Jesus talking to me about this church? All right, anyway, so, so the, this is what we see in Revelation. And Jesus says this to the church in Sardis. He says, I know your works, because he knows everything, right? You have a reputation of being alive. And he says this, but you are dead. You are dead. That's the fear of what I was saying. Saying earlier about, is it enough for us to have good worship? Is it enough for us to have okay preaching? Is it enough for this whole thing to be organized? No. That's not why God has called us. That's not why God is giving us equippers. This is not what God desires for us whatsoever. He desires for us to grow up into maturity so that we don't have just an appearance of being alive because we can do things in the American church well. He wants us to be truly alive, 
to where the, the, the Bible studies that we, we, we subscribe to to, 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 the, to the prayer that we devote ourselves to is not just ritual. It's transformation. It is transformation. So this is talking about a corporate and an individual transformation that God is calling us to. That, that there's an individual transformation that is going to start with every single one of you that looks in the mirror. That, that this is what growing up into maturity looks like. And then whenever that begins to be contagious, to where we are defining ourselves as Christians, followers of God, as disciples of Christ, to where that is so contagious that we say we can't help but stay the same. I'm not just reading my Bible because I think it looks good at a coffee shop to read my Bible. We're not just praying because it, it looks okay uh, to, to check off the list. We're like, oh, you know, I gave it five minutes. It wasn't really that impactful. Maybe I'll try next week. No, it's saying dig in. Dig in to maturity. Because we don't want, we don't want the same message that the church of Sardis has. Because really, it's a warning to us, is it not? He wrote it down in his word to warn us that there's going to be churches out there that have an appearance of being alive, but really, I know their works, and I know that they're dead. I know that they're dead. I drove a, a standard uh, in, in high school. It was actually an awesome car. Dad, I haven't told you this, but so many people offered to buy that car for me. Um, it was a 94 white Ford Bronco, the same Bronco that OJ um, ran away from and stuff. And so... Uh, and, but it was a standard, okay? It was a standard, and it was the very first car that I learned, learned to, dry, to drive in. And uh, I burned out the clutch, sure, in like three months. Uh, it, it, it happens. Uh, but, uh, but here's the thing. I, I say that because uh, a church that appears to be alive is kind of like whenever everything's working on the, the standard of a car, and where you got the key in, you even have it in, in gear, and you're revving the gas, but you still have the clutch in. You still have the clutch in. Where are you going if you have the clutch in? You, you might be revving a lot. You, you know, the, the car might sound like it's going places, but it's not going to go anywhere. We have to release the clutch to where we embrace the pathway of unity and maturity, being devoted to one another in our, uh, in our walks towards Jesus, in our walks towards Jesus. And listen, this is what... Uh, the unity of the faith actually means. Sometimes the Bible is talking about faith and what it means to walk with, walk with God. The faith, it means uh, reading the Bible and understanding the word of God being all about Jesus. This is, what it, uh, this is what we call gospel centrality in all of life. Are you reading the Bible? And whenever you read the Bible, are you looking for a list of rules to follow or are you reading the word of God saying, what does this explain to me about my Savior? Because that is, that is what we're called, that is the unity of the faith. That we are to be unified by what, how the word of God makes much of Jesus. And then it goes on to say, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, which is expounding upon that. Many of you know the Greek word for knowledge, which is gnosis. That's not the word here. The word here is epinosis. Epinosis. You know what that means? It means, are, do you have the ultimate knowledge? The knowledge that goes just from here down to here. The knowledge that takes root in your heart and transforms and changes you. If you've been around Redeemer for a while, you know that some of our curriculum that we go through grow groups with or even some of our GC curriculum is really asking heart questions continually. 
heart questions. Are you getting Jesus at the center of your heart? Do you know, do you know how, what the biblical definition of the heart is? Here's a quick aside. What is the biblical definition of the heart? The heart is the control center of the human life. The heart is the control center of the human life. You know, all the Disney shows say, just trust your heart, let fate decide. You know, that's Tarzan. And then there's a million other versions of that in Disney, right? Um, the Bible doesn't have anything good to say about our broken hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? The heart is the control center of our life, and there's something broken about it. That's why we need Jesus actually came to fix and transform and change our hearts. So whatever our heart is is pursuing, that is the thing you're pursuing. I'm going to say that again. Whatever your heart is pursuing, that is the thing you're pursuing. You're always chasing after the thing that is sitting on the throne of your heart. That is how the Bible describes the heart. You say, Cody, that doesn't sound like me. I'm kind of passive. I'm kind of passive, and so I don't really pursue a whole lot of things, and so I don't think your definition works for me. No, that just means that your passivity, your heart is pursuing, is pursuing comfort over confrontation a lot of times. So even if you're saying, my temperament is not one that pursues, no, your heart is pursuing something, but it's pursuing false peace, it's pursuing, it's pursuing comfort, it's pursuing fake harmony with other people, trying to keep things light. And so what our heart always pursues after something. It always pursues after something. That's why we want Jesus to sit at the throne of our heart, to be at the center of our heart so that we're constantly pursuing him, so that we're constantly running after him in unity of the faith, in unity of the faith. And you say, Cody, just explain it. Help me out here. What does it mean to be unified in the faith? Well, to make much of Jesus throughout all the New New Testament and the Old Testament, throughout all the Bible, I think it fits into three categories. Everything that you read in the Word of God either expounds upon Jesus being a good good prophet, a good priest, or a good king. Uh, Probably a better way to say it is he's the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, and the perfect king. Every single thing that the Word of God is expounding is trying to make much of Jesus. Let's talk about... um, Jesus being the, the truer and better prophet. Now, what was a prophet in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, the pro- a prophet was this. Uh, a prophet was someone that was sent from God to communicate to the people. Uh, a prophet was someone who was sent to go and proclaim the truth, right? It was constantly speaking the words of God, the truth of God to, to the masses. And what do we get in the life of Jesus? Life of Jesus, Jesus transformed the culture. He, he, said, he said so, so often uh, different things that would instruct and inform and shape people, and he'd break down paradigms, and his wisdom was absolutely unmatched. Pharisees kept on trying to catch him in his word, and his truth prevailed over and over again. And, and not, he wasn't just a prophet whenever he was alive, but he is also still a prophet today. He's still a prophet today. Remember at the end of the Gospel of Luke, whenever Jesus resurrected and he was walking with the two guys on the road to Emmaus. On, uh, to Emmaus. Remember that? And he begins to expound to them the word of God. 
He begins to expound to them uh, the talk of, talk of the Messiah about his resurrection and ex- interpreting the events that were going on. And then all of a sudden, he op- it said he opened their eyes so that they could see, and then he disappeared. And they and remember what they said? They said, did our hearts not burn within us whenever he was opening up the word of God? You know what that means? If you're a Christian in this room, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've had an encounter with the Holy Spirit through, uh, 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 through um, redemp- uh, I'm, my word is escaping me, through, what's that theological uh, term that starts with an R? Help me out. Help a preacher out. Not redemption, regeneration. It got to me. Thank you, Mason. I just looked at your face and there it was. Regeneration on Mason's face, okay? If you have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, all right, you have had that same encounter with the Lord. Did As you're reading scripture, you're reading scripture and you say to yourself, did not our hearts burn within us when I was reading the word of God? If you're a Christian in this room, you've had that experience. And I pray that you have that experience over and over and over again. Because what, it's say, what it is saying is it's saying the, the good prophet is speaking truth to my heart even today, even today. And that's how we should yearn and seek the word of God today. And so he is, uh, he is a prophet because he speaks truth. And so we need to look and read the word of what is pointing us to truth in the word of God. And how does that make much of Jesus being the great and perfect prophet? Well, he wasn't just a prophet. He was the great high priest, was he not? Uh, now, a prophet is someone that is sent by God to the masses. A priest is someone that represents the masses and then goes to God. Priests, priests would often take a sacrifice, would they not? They'd go into the Holy of Holies, especially in Yom Kippur. The high priest, one time a year, would go in with a sacrifice for himself and with the, nation, and with the nations. And so he would stand before God, representing the people with a sacrifice in his, in his hands. Jesus, however, did not go in with a sacrifice. He stood before the presence of God, and he says, I bring nothing except for myself, and I will be the great high priest who will sacrifice and die in their place. The word of God. There are so many places throughout the word of God that is trying to help us see that Jesus is the truer and better sacrifice, that Jesus is the truer and better high priest, that he's putting an end to all the sacrificial, sacrificial systems through his own life and death. That's what we have to see. That's what we have to see as Jesus being a great high priest who is interceding for us even today. Romans 8, 34 says this, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us today. Jesus is risen. He's the crucified risen one sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he is being your high priest right now, Christian. Family of God, listen to me. He's being your high priest right now. Go to him with every little or big thing in your life because he cares. He ever lives to make intercessions for the saints. He is the forever high priest who stands at the right hand of God advocating for us right now, right now. And also he's a king. He's a king. Jesus is the king that stood 
stood in the place of authority and said, I will do all that is right for my people. He's the ultimate king. Last week we talked about, or a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how would a king ever send out 10,000 troops to go out against 20,000 troops without first considering the cost? And the answer was absolutely not. No king would ever do that. But Jesus is the ultimate king who is in charge of absolutely everything. Absolutely everything and never makes a decision that is unwise for his family never makes a decision that is unwise for his family. Do you remember uh, what happened to Elisha at Dothan in the Old Testament? Elisha in 2 Kings. He stood at Dothan in the armies um, of the, the enemy uh, uh, that was basically Assyria stood around Elisha and was going to take him and destroy the army of the Lord. And Elisha stood there and was like, I'm not scared. And his servant was freaking out. He's like, what do you mean you're not scared? We're about to be annihilated. He goes, there's more with us than there are with him. And then he prayed that his servant would, his eyes would be opened up to see the chariots of fire that surrounded that army from, from the Lord. That's, that's pretty encouraging, right? <laughs> to, to pray, Lord, can you help us see that uh, You're going to help us prevail in this situation. And then your eyes open up to see angels from heaven surrounding this army. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing, is it not? We want that in our life, don't we? There's another time. There's one other place in the Bible that it talks about Dothan. You know what it is? Joseph's 11 brothers. Joseph's 11 brothers at Dothan threw him into the well. Oh, man. And you know what happened in that well? There was myriad of angels surrounding the well that were ready to pull him out of the well and to slay his dumb brothers. Is that what happened? No. No. He was sold into slavery. Did things get better from there? No. Then he was put into prison. Did things get better from there? Yes. He was made the prime minister after that. But that took a long, long time. What's the whole story of Dothan? The whole story of Dothan is this, that the same God that was in charge of Joseph's life, whenever he's thrown into the pit, whenever he's thrown into slavery, whenever he was thrown into prison, is the same God that is in charge of Elisha's life whenever he uh, surrounds him with a myriad of angels. Jesus is the king. That means nothing happens outside of his kingdom that he is not in charge of. Romans 8, 28, that so many of us know and have memorized is that that God will never, never do anything that's outside of his control, and he's actually working for all things out for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God is working for the best of his family. So it's good to be a part of the family of God because we have this hope and faith that what God is revealing through his kingship is that no matter what happens to us, we can trust him. We can trust him. Are you reading the Bible this way? Are you reading the Bible to where you are saying, how, how is this making much of Jesus? How is this explaining to, to me uh, how I can know and love my Savior more and more? Because whenever we read this and we get this deep into our heart to where our heart is transformed at the root level so that the fruits that we display to the world are are done out of acknowledgement of Christ and Christ alone, we will no longer, verse 14, 
be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, or by the craftiness of deceitful schemes. And so he's saying, we need to be called, we're going to call the family of God to maturity. And as we are growing into maturity, remember that we all start as children. This is important. I preached a sermon back uh, last fall uh, through our First Peter series that I actually got a whole lot of feedback about, and it was about talking about the different um, levels of maturity in the Christian, Christian walk. And I think uh, this is really helpful for us because if we're going to act together as a family, we need sobriety in recognizing that we're not all on the same maturity level. And in fact, some of the ways that you treat those that are either less mature than, less mature than you, you might actually show that you're not as mature as you think. Just getting up in your grill a little bit, all right? I can do that whenever the microphone's on, all right? I'm being a little bit sweeter uh, face-to-face and a little bit more gentle, but the mic's on right now. Sometimes, sometimes children don't know that they're being childish. I've never heard one of my kids say, you know what, Dad, I was, I'm sorry about that earlier. I was just being so immature. No, because they're, chi- they're, they're still children right now. They're still children right now. And so uh, we should have clear expectations of knowing that we all start as children. It doesn't matter where you are at. It doesn't matter where you're at in your life. Spiritual life mirrors maturity and physical life. So if you come to faith whenever you're 45, guess what? You're an infant. You're an infant. And this is what happens whenever churches... um, unfortunately don't have a robust discipleship program to where we can push each other and have a a gut level commitment with one another arm in arm as brothers and sisters saying we're committed to the maturing of faith within us then we can be immature for a very 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 long time just because just because you're 60 years old in the faith does not mean that you have six that you are an adult and a grandparent in the faith Time, uh, spiritual maturity knows nothing, is not time-bound. Spiritual maturity is not time-bound. It has everything to do with the work of making and treasuring Christ daily. Looking to the Word of God and putting in the work to say, I treasure you, I delight in you daily. And it's immature to think that we can just snap our fingers, listen to me, Eye contact. It's immature for us to think we can snap our fingers and say, now I'm all of a sudden going to be really mature. Or it's immature for us to say, oh, this person over here came to faith, therefore they're going to stop doing all the things that annoyed me over here that they were doing before they came to faith. That is immature thinking and is actually an, an indictment on your own spiritual Maturity, And so I was, reading a, I was reading a book that actually laid out a diagram and asked certain questions about how we talk in the faith, how we talk in the faith at different levels of maturity. And I just want to share them with you. And I want you to kind of use this as, as a test, as a test. Now, here's going to be the thing. Some of y'all are going to use this to test those around you. Don't do that, all right? This is an interpersonal test. This is a mirror for you and you alone. And then I encourage you, within your grow group this week, as members of of this body, I encourage you to maybe write down some of the the things that you've been expressing and feeling, and maybe even confessing. It's actually a big sign of maturity by addressing that, you know, I'm immature in this area. I'm immature in this area. 
because really, a sign of maturity is saying, I was so immature back then. I was so immature back then, and I have so much more to go. And so this is what it, um, uh, the, the author was a guy named Jim Putman, and he talks about the, the four stages of spiritual maturity. He first talks about being an infant in the faith. An infant in the faith is someone that just comes to the Lord and doesn't really know anything or anything like that. So through humility, they might be saying things along, along these lines. Number one, I've read the Bible already. You mean I have to read it again? I have to read the Bible again? Why would I have to do that? Been there, done that, already did it. You see, this is some of the talk of, a, of an infant in the faith. Let me get, just blow through these to see if you um, resonate with any of them. Uh, I connect with God in nature way better than I do in church. Jesus is God, yes, but isn't karma still a real thing in the world? Isn't what goes around kind of comes around, and is there a place for that in Christianity? I thought following Jesus would fix all of my problems, and now everything is even harder than whenever I first came to faith. What's up with that? I, I didn't write these, by the way. I'm just reading them. Um, so if you're mad, be mad at Jim Putman, all right? I don't think Jesus cares what I post on my Instagram or who I DM. I don't think he cares. I think there's a difference between what I do online and what I do on Sunday morning. All right? And so some of you might be saying, you know what? Oh, I wasn't in that category. All right? Cool. Cool. I wasn't in that category. Now, slow down. Slow down a little bit. Because then he goes from infant to a child. An infant to a child. A child says things like this. I need a church that meets my needs right now. Or this church is not really meeting my needs anymore. I guess it's time to move on. I like small churches. If this church gets too big, I'm going to leave, just so you know. I didn't like the music today. I wasn't fed by that sermon today. Uh, I was helping in the children's ministry, but no one said thank you, so I stopped. Children's ministry. Um... And then he goes on to say this, that children typically are not mature enough to see some of the self-centeredness of their request. Um, and let me say this uh, before we move on to some adulthood stuff. I think there's certain areas in our spiritual maturity that grows at different rates, grows at different rates. And a good, a good measure of our spiritual maturity, you know what it is? The fruits of the Spirit. But what's natural in our immaturity is to look at the fruits of the Spirit that come natural to me. Like, I'm, a, I'm a just a joyful person. I'm a peaceful person. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a good person. I'm a faithful, loyal person. That's not a good measure of your spiritual maturity. Think of the nine spiritual uh, fruits of the Spirit that is hardest for you, and then measure your maturity based on what's hardest. Are you self-controlled? I'm, I'm just not a disciplined, just not a disciplined person. That is a good measure of how you're progressing and getting the truths of Jesus deep into your heart, deep into your heart. It's like, well, you know, I'm just, I just don't have a whole lot of highs. I I'm just not super joyful. Uh, sorry. That's what you need to be measuring. It's like, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not loyal. I'm not, a, I'm not an Enneagram, whatever the loyal one is, right? I, that's, just not my, that's just not my temperament. I'm not loyal. So faithfulness is just not part of my repertoire. 
that's the thing that you need to be measuring because that's the thing that Jesus is transforming and changing and evidence of the Holy Spirit working in you. So let's move forward to some maturing questions. As we, again, this is self-assessment and uh, we'll pray and be done right after this. Um, he goes on to say, you can be a young adult or a parent. And there's, uh, I combine these two because they're very, very similar, but it was evidence of maturity. These um, people that are in this stage of maturity ask, say statements like this. I came across something in scripture today and I need to seek wise counsel to get clarity. See, an immature stance would be, I saw something in scripture and it made me angry and now I'm spiraling. I'm being tossed to and fro from every wind and wave of doctrine that maybe the Bible isn't true. I want to go on a mission trip this summer. I want to think about how I can give my resources for the glory of God more. I, I, they ask people regularly, how can I serve you? How can I serve you? They also say, uh, they ha uh, Jim says that they have an honest gift assessment so that they know and understand how has God shaped me and made me and how can I use that for the glory of God. They're a peacemaker. Listen, this was gold. They're a peacemaker in Christian community when things get hard, not when things are easy. They, they step in when things get really, really hard. Listen, friends, family members, brothers and sisters, my hope for us is that we can grow into maturity. And the only way forward into maturity is growing up in our Christ-likeness, devoting ourselves to uh, the apostles' teachings, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, and to fellowship, to, to where we make much of Jesus and we obey him in a knee-jerk reaction, say, God, this is hard. So some of these people are annoying. I don't really understand what I need to be doing, but I'm pressing in. I'm pressing in. Why? Because I know that you're working all things for my good. What it means to belong to the family of God means embracing the rhythms of growing in maturity. Let's do that together. Let's do that together. I hope you're with me. Because I, my hope for 2021 and 2022 is that we begin to live out the values of being a gospel-centered, disciple-making family. Not just in speech, but in heart motivation. Let's pray.